Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. I want to take this time and take a moment in our service to welcome once again those of you that may be visiting with us for the very, very first time today. If this is your first time with us, we want you to know that we count it a privilege to have you here with us today, and hopefully you have um, felt at home here. You are our guest this morning. We're thankful to have you. And there is a guest card that is printed on a piece of cardboard. It should be right in front of you in the pew. It looks like the one on the screen behind me. And you can take your smartphone and scan that, and that'll take you to our guest card. And what you can do is provide us with a little bit of information about who you are, and then that will then give us opportunity to follow up with you. If you have any questions about our ministry, anything that we can answer for you, we would certainly be happy to do that. And this very same QR code, um, you can also use it if, as I mentioned earlier, if you did not get contacted and placed into a care group, if somehow... Um, we did not get that information out to you for some reason. You can use that same card and use our guest card to get that information to us as well. And uh, that's a way that we can follow up with you. And if you have any interest in any particular ministries, you can use that very same uh, card. Well, so we are finishing up this morning. Uh, we have been looking through our um, purpose statement here in our ministry as part of our vision month for the month of January. And over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking a lot about worship, and we have been discussing that. I, I started uh, the sermon I'm going to finish this morning, part one of the sermon I'm going to finish this morning, a couple of weeks ago on the issue of worship. And then last week, Pastor um, Wes did a great job talking about worship and some of the practical aspects of worship and the philosophy of worship that we have applied here in our ministry. And uh, I'm going to finish kind of this series on worship this morning. And as I, as I was listening to everyone sing, and Pastor Wes was, was correct, I could um, hear voices from, from uh, behind me and folks singing those songs. I remember years ago, and by the way, singing is just one part of worship. Oftentimes we think about worship just in the context of, of music. Um, there's more to worship than just music. Preaching and, and hearing God's word preached, by the way, is part of our worship. Prayer is part of our worship. Fellowship even is part of our worship. But certainly singing is a way that we express our praise and adoration to God. And I remember when I was in seminary and you're kind of coming up through the ranks and, and taking seminary classes and uh, we decided that while we were there, we were going to get as involved in as many different ministries as we could so that we could sense where the Lord was directing us in ministry and where our giftedness was and that sort of thing. Well, our very first year in seminary, we actually signed up to be Awana leaders. I learned a couple of things about Awana. Uh, children's ministry is profoundly not my gift. Um, we always jokingly said this, that it was our year of purgatory to figure out that um, children's ministry was not my area of giftedness. However, with all joking aside, we did love the kids and we had some tremendous impact with those kids. But there was one little boy I will never forget. He was actually the son of one of my seminary professors. And we had, I believe it was second grade was our, was our group. And this little boy, it didn't matter what song we were singing. It quite frankly didn't matter if the little boy knew the song. He was going to make up words and lyrics and a tune all of his own. But I'll tell you what, that little boy sang his little heart out. I remember it to this day, the sense of joy on his face. And there was other kids probably looking at him like, really? And you know what? He didn't care. 
And I thought to myself, that's how it should be with every single believer, right? We just make a joyful, and sometimes it is, a noise to the Lord. And lifting our voices up in praise. And so this isn't a message on singing today, but as we've been thinking a lot about worship, I, I just couldn't get his little face out of my mind. Today's probably an adult man married by now, but um, when I knew him, he was just a little kid. We are going to be working through, as I mentioned, the last part of our purpose statement. And if you're forgetting what that is, or maybe you're visiting here today, let me just read it for you, if I may. Grace Baptist Church exists to make and mature disciples for the glory of God. And so we spent some time talking about what it means to make a disciple. We talked about what it means to mature a disciple. And over the last two, three weeks, we have been talking about this issue of bringing glory to God. And so let me invite you to join with me, join me in Psalm 115. And uh, if you are, again, here for the first time today, we actually started looking at this psalm a couple of weeks ago. And we just looked at the opening three verses of this psalm. And today, we are going to go ahead and read through this entire psalm. And we're going to finish studying this psalm together today. And so let me read with you this psalm, Psalm 115. Verse 1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. And verse 4 is where we'll pick up our study this morning. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them... Notice this, those that make them become like them. We become like what we worship, okay? Those that make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Notice, by the way, the repetition in this psalm. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. You know, we really are, as human beings, a very fickle race of people. We are fickle in that we are eager to give glory to whatever momentary spectacle captures our attention. Think about the latest video clip on ESPN that you saw this morning and that momentary blip of, amazing, of an amazing act of athleticism. Think about that very brief moment of that Instagram post that you saw for just a few seconds 
or that amazing video you saw on Fox News or on Facebook. And the reality is we are very happy to give temporary praise and glory to temporary matters. It has been said that it takes 10 to 15 years to be an overnight success. And when we think about how often somebody has labored and they have worked and they have pressed on toward their mark of fame or their mark of being uh, impacting multiple people's lives and they invest years and years and years and finally they are by our definition an overnight success and very often very quickly they are very quickly a has-been that glory on a human level success on a human level is very short-lived what is popular today what is bringing glory to your eyes today will often be quickly forgotten. A couple of weeks ago now when I was working on this sermon, we had the blizzard of 2022. We had a dusting of snow. And I walked out and looked at the snow and I thought, if we get snowed out another Sunday, I might cry. But as soon as the sun broke the trees, it was gone. That's what the world's glory is like. When we give glory to something of this world, it holds your attention for a moment, and then it evaporates like the snow. It's gone. Unfortunately, we are so eager as a culture to give our glory away to someone or something other than God. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but you can gauge a culture by observing the people that they praise and what they express their adoration for. You can tell much about your own heart by considering what you praise and what you glory. Make no mistake about it, we are all worshipers. We all assign glory to something or someone. So fill in this blank and then we'll get into our text. In your life, say it this way, in my life, all glory, honor, and praise goes to what or who? The Sunday school answer is God. But is that your real answer this morning? As sinners, we are consumed with the world's lesser glories. And from Psalm 115, what we find is that only the glory of Almighty God and Him alone is worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our adoration. In the first three verses of this psalm, we looked at the reason, first reason that we can bring glory to God is because of His surpassing love and His faithfulness to us. And now this morning, I want to look at two more reasons why we can assign glory to God. And the second one is found in verses 4 through 8. It is because of God's superiority over all the other gods. I want to say this again and again and again in this sermon. Hopefully, I'll say it multiple times so we don't forget it. And we find these words in this psalm. We will become like what we worship. If we are worshiping God, we will become like Him. If we are Christ-centered in our lives and in our pursuit of holiness, we will increasingly become like Him. 
And yet in Psalm 115, understanding that in verse 2, when the psalmist asks, which of the nations say, where is your God? Understanding that they were surrounded by nations that made gods out of wood and stone and, and metal and these different materials that they would then place them in a shrine or they would place them on a cart. They would place them to where they could be seen and they could be touched and they could be handled. And so the nations around Israel were asking, where is your God? And the answer in verse 3 was, our God is in heaven, and he does as he pleases. Now compare the God of heaven, the God of Israel, to the gods of the pagan nations around them. And we'll read through some of those verses again in just a moment. But understanding that the pagan nations surrounding them were prone to worshiping something, and so what they did is they would fashion idols with their hands. And they would worship it. Now, Israel, like us, we are very prone to falling into idolatry. And idolatry was Israel's most habitual and costly sin, even though they were repeatedly, again and again and again and again, warned against their practice of idolatry. Now, before you are thinking that we are, as Americans, not prone to idolatry, I promise you that I will demonstrate to you that you are as idolatrous as Israel ever was. We all are. But listen to Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there. But Deuteronomy 4, verses 27 through 29, we find these words, And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. You're going to be prone to this. You're going to be surrounded by idolaters. You're going to be surrounded by pagan religions. And Israel, when you leave and you go out into these lands, you are going to fall to false worship again and again and again and again. Then in verse 29, Deuteronomy says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Worshiping. An invisible God was incomprehensible to the nations around Israel. They couldn't understand why is it that they were worshiping this God that they couldn't see, that they couldn't touch. And yet in Psalm 115, we are reminded that the wood is still wood. The stone is still stone. And to reverence an idol is absolute folly. And notice the description of these idols. Psalm 115 is only one of the places that you find a similar description. You see it also in Deuteronomy text that I read there in Deuteronomy chapter 4. You see some of these similar pictures. But notice the description that the psalmist gives us. He says their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Now think about that for a moment. When we think about the God of Israel, the God that called the people of Israel out of Egypt. And even in Deuteronomy, we see that God was a God who made covenants with his people. He made promises to his people. He made, uh, God gave them guidance and he gave them encouragement. He gave them counsel. He directed them. He spoke with them. Their gods couldn't do this. 
Their gods had mouths because they were made and fashioned after human beings. And so they had mouths. But the psalmist reminds us that they cannot speak. They cannot make a promise to you. They cannot give you guidance. They cannot enter into a covenant with you. And then he also says in verse uh, five, that not only do they not have mouths, but they don't have eyes. They cannot see. They cannot offer you protection. They cannot offer you oversight. Now, understanding that the God of heaven, as we understand him, as he has been described for us in the Old Testament and even in the, even in the New Testament, is that he is omnipresent. That's just a fancy word to say that he is in all places at all times. And I know as, as parents, probably we maybe manipulated that with our children. You know, God sees everything you do and to guilt them into obedience. In reality, I would see it much more as a word of encouragement. That God sees every aspect of your life. Every internal aspect, every outward decision, every thought. Now maybe that's troublesome to you. But when we think about the fact that these gods... That were made in the likeness of men. They had eyes, but they were unable to see. Not only that, the next verse tells us they have ears and they cannot hear. False gods could not hear the prayers and the cries of their followers. But your God in heaven hears every prayer that you utter. He hears every prayer that you don't even have the words to pray. He knows your heart, He knows your concerns. He knows your prayers, and yet these idols made of wood, stone, and metal, they have physical ears, but they cannot see, they cannot hear. I remember when I was, I visited um, Asia, I was in China for a period of time, and I remember walking into this temple, a room probably almost as big as this auditorium, with lines of tables on the back and some of the gods some of these stone items some of these gold items whatever they were made of some of them would have almost touched the ceiling in this room that's how big they were and i remember watching as people would come in and they would of course this may shock you but you had to pay money to have your prayer answered And so they would go before each and every God and they would put in their coin and they would go through their ritualistic prayer before this physical idol, the one with eyes that could not see, mouth that could not speak, ears that could not hear their prayer, and they would pray. They would go to the next one. They would put in their money and they would go through the same ritual and they would do this down the line again and again and again. And the really big one, apparently, he had special powers to answer your prayers. That's folly. Those gods cannot hear. Those gods cannot see. But your God in heaven can. Your God in heaven hears your prayers. He sees your life. Your God in heaven is intimately involved in your life. That wasn't true of the pagan idols that were surrounding the people of Israel. They were falling prey to this because let's be honest, we want to have a God that we can see, that we can touch. That there is some level of physical representation. We want to, as humans, be able to see this. And yet, 
The psalmist is telling us poetically that this is foolish. They are wood. They are stone. They are rock. He goes on in this psalm and he tells us that they have noses, but they do not smell. It's interesting as I was thinking about that one. In Genesis chapter 8, in verses 20 and 21, we have this account where it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from their youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, even In the Old Testament, this picture of this burnt offering being a sweet savor to the Lord. We were talking in our connect group about prayer this morning. And we were talking about if we were all right now to just break out everybody audibly into prayer right now for whatever's on your heart. That while for us as humans it would sound overwhelming almost. You couldn't hear, you couldn't latch on to what somebody was saying, that God in heaven hears each and every one of those prayers. And that when we sing, when we lift our voices and sing glory to God, that we are, in my estimation, doing exactly, in a sense, what Noah was doing. We don't have a burnt offering, but we have an offering of our voice. And when God hears that, even if it's off pitch, it's a joy to his heart as our heavenly father because he hears you now maybe more importantly the last two that the psalmist points out in verse 7 he says they have hands but they can't feel anything i would add that they have hands and they can't do anything notice the next one they have feet but they can't walk they can't even make a sound in their throat And so we think about the Old Testament where they had their God on their cart who couldn't go anywhere. Your God is all places of all, in all times, omnipresent. Then arguably the the scariest part of this verse is those who make them become like them. Spiritually blind, spiritually foolish, unable to please their God because he's not real. I want to show you an illustration and I want to spend some time. We don't normally do this, but I want you to find uh, Isaiah chapter 44 with me for just a moment. And then lest you think we are off the hook and we are not idolatrous, uh, we will then make by application what our current idols and our culture today are. Isaiah chapter 44, I'm going to read several verses in this chapter, but I want to begin by reading verse 2, okay? We're actually going to begin reading a lengthy section in verse 6, but I want to lay some groundwork for these verses in verse 2, where it says this, thus the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jehoram, whom I have, Jehoran, rather, whom I have chosen. And then he goes on from there, and I won't read those next few verses, but go down to verse 6. 
And listen to what Isaiah writes. He says, Thus says the Lord, King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me there is no other God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. Now notice the imagery in verses 9 and following. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only humans. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and cuts it over the coals. He fashions with it. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. And then he becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter sketches a line. He makes it out with a pencil. He shapes it with the planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house, one of those shrines that we mentioned. Listen to verse 4. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. And he makes a god and worships it. The same piece of wood that you use to make your dinner and you use to warm yourself is what you're going to worship? He says he makes a God and he worships it. He makes it an idol and he falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats his meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and he says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes it into a God, his idol, and falls to it and he worships it. He prays to it and he says, Deliver me for you are my God. He made the thing. Verse 18, they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in fire, I also baked bread on its coal. Notice how spiritually darkened their mind is. I roasted meat and have eaten, and I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes and a deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say there is not a lie in my own right hand. Remember these things, old Jacob, 
in Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like the mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Now, I don't know what your reaction to read through those verses is, but when you think about a person who takes a block of wood, builds a fire, bakes his bread, then makes an idol and falls down and worships it, that we would look at that, I think, and say that's folly. That's foolish. That God can't redeem your soul. That God was made by the worshiper. And what's sad is they are so spiritually blinded that the man who made this idol, he can't even see it. You know, I wonder today, what are you trusting in for your own redemption? Because the Bible tells us a single story, and it's a story about God's wondrous redemption of mankind. And that because we are all born sinners, we are all in, a need, in need of a redeemer, we are all in need of redemption, we are all in need of salvation. And we look to this world to provide us with hope. We look to this world to find something that we can worship that will bring us peace, that will bring us salvation, that will bring us redemption. And I wonder how often we see, and that's in Isaiah 44, that our own culture is falling prey to idols at the same rate that the people in Israel's day was falling to. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't see a whole lot of people making wood and metal and stone idols to worship, but I would suggest to you that the gods of our age are idols of our heart that are often more tricky for us to discern. I made a list, it's not exhaustive, but I want to read a few of what the gods of our age are. Remembering this, anything or anyone that takes God's place as ultimate, the ultimate place in your heart, that is a god. That is your God. When I teach this in my different classes I teach, I teach here on campus, I ask people to answer two questions. And maybe as I get ready to read this list, that you would think through the answer to these two questions. Number one, what is it in your life that you right now are willing to sin against God to get? You know that God has forbidden it. You know that God has said to you that it is not acceptable for a believer to be involved in that or to pursue that. Okay, what is it that you are willing in your life right now to sin against God and do it anyway? But more importantly, number two, what is it that when it is withheld from you that you respond sinfully because you didn't get it? 
The easiest one on my list, it's actually number five on my list or so, one of the easiest ones to see is when people say something like this, well, you know, pastor, I just have an anger problem. To which I always respond very simply and lovingly, no, you don't. Your anger is a symptom of the fact that you're not getting your God. And your God may be control. That in your heart of hearts, you want to be sovereign over your life. You want to be sovereign over other people. You want to be the Messiah. And so in our culture, it is so tempting to desire to worship the idol of control. And when I don't get control, I'm angry, I'm mean, I am vindictive. Oh, I might even go the spiritual route and just shut down and never speak to you again. I may go the spiritual route and just throw a pity party because I didn't get what I want. So control is certainly a tremendously tempting idol in our culture. But here's, here's another one for you, and that is the idol of love, affection, and intimacy. By the way, not all these are bad or wrong. These are not sinful in and of themselves. Acceptance can very quickly become our idol. If I demand to be accepted at all costs, I am willing to sin against God as long as I fit in. I'm willing to do something that God has forbidden because I demand to be liked. I demand to be accepted. I can't fathom the thought of someone rejecting me. Is acceptance your idol? Or affirmation your idol? Fishing for compliments, fishing for feedback, fishing for someone to affirm you? Here's one that we worship in our country, and that is the idol of security. What about the idol of comfort? What about the idol of knowledge? What about the idol of convenience? Here's one for you, especially for the men in the room. What about your idol of respect? That we often hear, I hear this from time to time. Well, you know, pastor, the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives, but the wives are commanded to respect their husband. That's true. God said that. But how do you respond when it's withheld from you? You see, even when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a sinful thing. So I can want something that is not inherently sinful, but when it becomes an ultimate thing in my heart and I don't get it, how do you respond? Possessions can become our God. Fame can become our God. Pleasure can become our God. And we understand, as I mentioned, as we worship the true God, we become like him. He transforms us into his image. And yet when we worship the idols of our age, we very quickly become like the gods of this world. So before we finish our study of Psalm 15, let me ask you very simply, what is it that you are living for? What are you giving your ultimate glory to? What do you focus your undivided attention on? What is it that you are willing to sin against God to get?
Where is it in your life that you are sinning against God when it is withheld from you? You see, the God of heaven deserves all of our glory because he surpasses all of the gods that this world could ever offer. Let me leave this psalm with you very briefly and look at the fact that we can also glorify God because of his supreme power and authority. I won't read all of these verses once again, but I would invite you to read down through beginning in verse 9 down through the end um, of this psalm and understand that again and again and again we see trust the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your help. He is your shield. He who fears the Lord trusts him. In verse 11, verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. He has blessed us. Verse 13, he blesses those who fear him. In verse 15, may you be blessed by the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Verse 16, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. And the ultimate conclusion of this is, but we as believers will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. This psalm reminds us of of our tendency to worship lesser gods. And very often, generally speaking, we have lost our perspective on who God is. That this psalm points us again and again and again through God's sovereignty and God's power and God's authority. Now think about it for a moment. When we desire absolute control, when we desire to be sovereign over our little kingdom... What you are saying is you want to be God. When you crave to the point that you're willing to sin against God to get someone's acceptance or to get someone's affirmation, what you are saying is you are the one who wants to be worshipped. You are the one who wants to be, even in our pursuit for respect, to be given ultimate respect. Be honest with yourself. You want to impress people. You want people to look at you and give you the glory that belongs to God. So we are to shun the gods of this world. We can assign all glory to God because of his surpassing love, because of his faithfulness, because of his superiority over all gods, and because of his supreme power and authority. We will become like what we worship. Whatever we worship, that is who we will become. And so basking in God's glory is the only way that we can experience lasting joy, lasting peace, lasting satisfaction. We are to stand in awe of God's glory. Why? Because that is the place that we find what our hearts are truly craving. Peace, joy, satisfaction even in the midst of imperfect circumstances. Now, to worship God fully in the way that we have described this morning, you have to first and foremost have put your faith in Christ for salvation. That it is important to understand that when the Old Testament writer here in Psalm 115 says that God is in heaven, that the God of heaven sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. So ultimately, I can't worship him until I belong to him. I can't worship him until I am part of his family. 
You become part of God's family through faith in Christ. I, I was talking with someone recently and they said, you know, I'm just, I'm not a very religious person. And I said to them, that's funny because neither am I. I don't practice a religion. This isn't a religious exercise. This is worship. This is giving our sacrifice of praise to our creator who sent his son to die for our sins so that we can have not religion, but relationship with our creator. So this morning, maybe you're here and you're trusting in a religion or you're trusting in yourself to get into God's presence when we leave this world. But I urge you to understand that there is a God in heaven. He does as he pleases, but he is good, he is righteous, he is loving, and he will redeem anyone who puts their faith in his son. Now, for those of you that have already put your faith in Christ, my question that I leave you with this morning is simply this. Are you zealously seeking God's glory? Or are you zealously seeking your own glory? Because as believers, our whole purpose, our whole life is to zealously bring glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this psalm and for the reminder that we have here in these verses that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who created us. You're a God who we can trust. You're a God who we can place our lives under your care because we know that unlike the gods of this world, that you are alive, you are real, you are true. And so, Lord, I pray that as we sing a song of response today, that maybe there is someone here this morning that has never come to the place that they have put their faith in Christ. Maybe this is a time for them to get more information about that or maybe even pray while I'm praying here now to receive Christ. And I also pray for believers today. Maybe there are some here this morning that have been drawn away to the gods of this world, the gods of comfort, the gods of pleasure, uh, the gods of acceptance and control, those things that so often pull us away into idolatry. So Lord, bless now this closing time that we have together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor West, come and lead us in the song. Amen. I'd like to close by reprising the first verse and chorus of this song that we've been learning, Psalm 150. So let's stand as we sing, praise the Lord, Psalm 150. You made the starry host, you traced the mountain peaks, you paint the evening skies with wonders. The earth, it is your throne. From desert to the sea, all nature testifies your splendor. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Sing His greatness, all creation. Praise the Lord, raise your voice, you heights and all you depths. From dismissed. Have a great week.